Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Guidance is internal. Ignition sequence starts. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Permission to board, please. Permission to come aboard. Permission to board. Permission to board. Do I have some permission to board that sweet mothership? This is the Permission Granted Podcast. Here's DA. Welcome inside the PGP, everybody. That's the show about the show, the show within the show, the Permission Granted Podcast. Every single week, we look behind the scenes at the DA show, and you can get this on its own podcast feed, which is available, say, Apple Music, Stitcher, Spotify, Radio.com, other places, or the DA Show's podcast feed. So either one of those, you can find this, the PGP. Now, Mraz joins me, and we'll start with the movie part and then get to the second part, which is I'll be out on Thursday and Friday for the holiday. But a couple of cutting room floor nuggets about The Sandlot. The Sandlot is a film... And I feel like I really need to set this up because last week we talked about The Natural and we were confused and I think the listeners were confused at what The Natural was all about. It was a very confusing film anyway. And if you were listening to the PGP, it's like, what the hell is this movie even about if I never saw it? So The Sandlot is about a young young man named Smalls who ends up moving to a new neighborhood in Los Angeles or the greater Los Angeles area, has no friends. He's kind of a bookworm. And he wants to play sports or he wants to be part of a friend group. He likes baseball. And he's kind of adopted by Benny the Jet, who's the best baseball player in the neighborhood, and this Sandlot baseball team, a ragtag bunch that loves to play baseball every single day. And this is their summer of adventures. And this is him kind of smalls getting a friend group. And then he hits a commemorative baseball that was signed by Babe Ruth from his stepdad over the fence. Over the fence from the Sandlot is... A guard dog by the name of Beast in urban legend. This beast has eaten baseballs and eaten kids as well. So they're terrified of going over there to get the commemorative baseball. And so the much of the movie revolves around adventures and trying to retrieve the baseball. Ultimately, they do. And they find out that the owner of Beast is a very sweet older man played by James Earl Jones, who originally had played baseball with Babe Ruth and was able to swap out a 27 Yankees autograph ball for the Babe Ruth ball because the Babe Ruth ball was eaten by Beast. And so all is well that ends well somewhat. Smalls ends up as the voice of the Dodgers. Benny the Jet, his friend on this team, ends up as a star of the Dodgers. And the end of the movie. 
So let's start here. We didn't get to this. What's the deal with the treehouse? Okay, because I love this movie. I was, this is probably the third or fourth time I've seen it all the way through. I've watched it maybe, let's say, five years ago or so. I mean, every time I watch it all the way through, I love it. I just think it's, the script is really good. The acting's really good. It moves. It's an hour, 40 minutes. Doesn't need to be anything more than that. It's not overly sappy. It's not overly ridiculous. It just hits, and it's, like, properly nostalgic. I just think the movie is phenomenal, and I'm glad that we reviewed it. But what's the deal with the treehouse? Because they get together in this treehouse to look down on Beast. Well, this treehouse has got to be in somebody's yard. Which one of these kids lives next door to Beast and Mr. Myrtle? No, 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 no. It's in the. It's in center field of the Sandlot. It's it's evident every time there. I mean, look. Think about the scene where the vacuums blow up, which is just to me maybe the most unrealistic scene of them all, where the one kid survives somehow in the explosion, <laughs> and he walks down from the treehouse. They're all standing in the outfield of the Sandlot. It is in center field of the Sandlot, which you want to talk about which kid lives there that should be the trails. No, my bigger issue is that, as you mentioned, there's a car out there in the outfield. It's, it's, there's no way. It's, it's a sanitary. junkyard. It's a junkyard. Who of these kids who are 10, 11 years old, how did they get together, have the carpentry skills and tools right. to build a treehouse, not on their property, by the way, which means, you know, you're lugging stuff back and forth to put this up. I can't imagine a kid's parent would allow them to build a treehouse on property that's not theirs. So that, to me, is the bigger issue. Yeah, okay. I didn't realize that it was not somebody's yard, but you're right. So this this essentially is a public space that they've built. Do no other kids use it? And, I mean, this place is so big. <laughs> this treehouse is so huge. They can all, it's like nine of them fit up there. They got plenty of space to maneuver around. They keep their stuff up there. They make s'mores up there. I mean, they've built a public space, and they're the only ones that use it. I mean, I just, I don't, I don't understand this. So the the only way I can equate this is there is an ongoing controversy, and I think we briefly mentioned on the air in my neighborhood over two ice cream men and the fight over territory they have, <laughs> and kind of the are there written rules, are there unwritten rules about who has what blocks, what territory. So I brought up my big issue with them always losing these baseballs was, hey, doofuses, you could go play on the field that the Tigers play on or any of the fields adjoining those because very clearly they are available and clearly you don't live that far. And then if you hit a ball over the fence, you get it back. So much like that is public spacing, this treehouse doesn't belong to them because they don't own the property, but nobody else seems to go there. What kind of neighborhood in America do you know? Where kids can just like shoddy and call, like, all right, this is our sandlot, this is our treehouse, then the other kids are tigers, all right, this is our baseball field, you can't come and use it. I can't imagine a world or a country we live in where if it's not something you physically own, have the deed to, that you could just say you can't come here or nobody's <laughs> going to try to use it. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. And, you know, it's just, it's hard to get your, your mind around that. I would also say, could you follow the timeline of when Bill married Smalls' mom? Because he moves to this new neighborhood. Bill is his stepdad, played by Dennis Leary. Bill comes off as a real a-hole. He doesn't find time <laughs> for Smalls to play catch. He's just totally aloof and standoffish. He loves baseball memorabilia. He's got all this stuff in his office. 
But he's got a stepson that doesn't know how to play baseball, throw a baseball, catch a baseball. I mean, that's embarrassing for Bill. He loves baseball, but his son wants to play baseball. He doesn't teach him. But Bill, but Smalls is having a tough time deciding how to call Bill dad. He keeps calling Bill Bill, but tries to correct it to dad. Now, number one, Bill's not his dad. So I don't think he's got any responsibility to call him dad. I don't think stepdads are dads. Okay? Dads Boy, are biological danger, dads. Dangerous line you're walking here with the ethics of who to call what. Now, if if your if your stepdad has been in your life since you were a really young kid and you consider him a dad, that's one thing. But very obviously, this is a late transition in life for Smalls. He's calling him Bill and then trying to force feed dad. So it's not comfortable for him. So I don't think he's got the responsibility to call Bill dad. But when did this happen? Because are they even married officially yet? Or is this boyfriend-girlfriend between Bill and his mom? So, yes, this is so weird because he talks about, I forget whether his father passed away or left very very early in his life. And it's not as small as now this old teenager. He's 10. He's 10. So Bill's been around long enough that the family has picked up and moved from, I think, Arizona to California together where they're going to own this house. So... I, I can't imagine his mom is some kind of floozy who met a guy six months ago and now is forcing her son to call him dad. My guess is he's had to have been around Smalls' life since he was seven, six. So just to follow on that timeline. It's a four-year process to call Bill dad? Right. That's what doesn't make any sense. So that, to me, falls on Bill. Bill, why doesn't this kid feel, who hasn't had a father in his life, like he could comfortably call you dad? What are you doing wrong? Bill doesn't seem to care. And that's the other thing. Does Bill even care if he calls him dad? He seems to not care whatsoever. It's all about the mother here who... You know, frankly, how about you have a talk with your husband and not put your kid in that position to begin with to have yep. to ask him to play catch. Go when he's working say, hey, look, I really want him to get out of the house. You know how a parent would have a conversation. His, kid, his kid's in the neighborhood playing baseball. Can you help you know, help him fit in? Don't put him in an awkward spot to have to ask him on his own while the mother sits there and hopes that her husband says yes. I think the mother's all over the place. Bill's all over the place. I really think Smalls is really crappy parents. It's fr- yeah. frankly crappy parents. I didn't love the parenting in this film. I really didn't. I thought that Smalls' mom put Smalls in bad situations, and they were all scared of Bill, and Bill was just an overall jerk about the whole thing. I mean, at the end, he finally comes around, but Bill's just he's a really tough dad to like, and I think it shows that they they're raising a really dopey kid. I mean, Smalls... <laughs> you hate this kid. I just think Smalls is so annoying. I mean, and then so this, the slogan, the catchphrase from the movie that's the most famous is, Smalls, you're killing me, is said but multiple... No, it's, 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 you're killing me, Smalls. If it's famous, at least get so <laughs> You're killing me, Smalls. You know, this is said by multiple of his friends multiple times he, because he does all these things wrong. He doesn't know how to throw a baseball. He doesn't know how to catch a baseball. He doesn't have a real mitt. He doesn't have a real cap. Okay. I mean, problems. He also doesn't know who Babe Ruth is. Okay. Steals Bill's commemorative baseball to play with. Then loses it and forces all of his friends to have to figure out how to go get it back, including sending yeah, yeah in there with the bungee cord situation to nearly get eaten. And then he he'll, he's going to get just torn up by bill when bill comes home from chicago (laughs) and and benny the jets got to run a six hour marathon getting chased by a killer dog to finally save his ass 
And it just so happens that the, the, the ball also is going to be ruined by the time they get him back. It just happens on the good fortune of Mr. Myrtle having played with Babe Ruth and having a 2070 Yankees autographed ball. Plus, he doesn't know what s'mores is. As you said, the tie in the press box when he becomes the voice of the Dodgers is basically spitting in the face because he's wearing <laughs> a, a, base, a 30-year-old baseball cap with a fish on it and, <laughs> and, and a denim button-down. You know, he's not taking his job very seriously, to be honest with you. As Bogues pointed out, he makes basically the, the press box his, his own personal den. You know, I don't like Smalls. Frankly, I, I don't like this kid. He's, he's tough to take. He's very tough to take, and honestly, Smalls should forever be indebted, and I think he is, to Benny the Jet, because nobody, no kid, and this maybe this is sad about kids, because you really worry about bullying and all of that, no kid would ever have the patience or the maturity at that age to take Smalls under his wing and befriend him, to teach him things that his own parent isn't teaching him, yeah. the way Benny the Jet did, and if Smalls doesn't end up in that neighborhood with that perfect oh. kid... Uh, much Disaster. like the story of Smalls' life, where he, you know Mr. Myrtle happens to be the perfect guy to lose the ball because he's 27 Yankees. This kid, we make the joke all the time that I've stepped in it a lot. Smalls steps in it yeah. over and over again. Nobody should get that lucky with being that disastrous with life mistakes like Smalls. Thank goodness for Benny the Jet. Benny the Jet is an unbelievable kid. That is who every parent should raise their kid to be, yep. is like Benny the Jet. And Smalls should be indebted to him because he owes him his life, literally. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. And look, Smalls has a good heart. Smalls wants to be a good friend. Smalls, he, he's trying really hard, which we appreciate. But look, you, you claim to be a baseball fan. You've never heard of Babe Ruth, and you don't know where left field is. I'm sorry. It doesn't take much to learn that stuff. Now, if we take ourselves out of the movie, you know, as you said, this is a group of friends that have a real great success rate. I mean, one ends up as the voice of the Dodgers. One up, ends up as the star of the Dodgers. One ends up as a pitcher at AAA. Two of them end up building strip malls. One ends up inventing bungee jumping. And one's then, a professional wrestler. One's a professional wrestler, right. And then one gets lost to the 60s. I mean, it's, it's ah. an eight for nine hit rate here. It's an amazing hit rate. But in real life, I sent you guys the picture of their reunion. They got them together two years ago for the 25th reunion. Whereas they don't look so good. It's it's tough watching some of these child <laughs> stars from some of these movies. I mean, the most famous one is obviously what happened to Goldberg and the Mighty Ducks. I mean, he almost looks like one of the shrunken heads you'd buy at a kiosk in the mall. <laughs> it's, it's a rough look. A lot of these kids... Now, some make it out all right, but Macaulay Culkins went down some dark roads. These kids, when you see how... Corey Feldman, Corey oh. Haim... Um, Gary Coleman, Todd Bridges. When, but I think you got to look at the negative. And if you want your child to be some kind of child actor star, mm. I think you, you bring up that picture of the Sandlot, you bring up the picture of Goldberg, you bring up Macaulay Culkin's life, and you just go, do I need this? Yeah. I don't know that I need this. But you're right. And also, I will find it. I found myself, because Bogus was texting us, and you bring up this picture, which I think hits on something. Uh, my life is very similar to the great Hambinos, although I didn't become... <laughs> A, uh, a professional wrestler. But we were the same kind of kid growing up, right? Like, uh, you know, yeah, I could hit a little bit. I, I caught. I was a pain in the neck. I obviously was an antagonizer. Still am to this day. But 
I see the picture of him, and he's still a very portly person. And yeah. you see him in that scene in the pool where he takes his shirt off, and he's flexing, and he's being all Hamilton Porter. And you realize he's the pudgy kid, but in reality, he's not that fat. And I have True. been told this by several people I went to high school with that see me in pictures on Facebook go, you know, looking back, you weren't that fat. And it's huh. usually actually showing me that I am that fat now. And the same kind of route <laughs> went as the actor who played Hamilton Porter. And I wonder, is it is it all in relation that, that a kid could look like that compared to the peers? And he rose in hindsight, well, that wasn't even that big. They could have gone the other way. But maybe just the acceptance of being the fat guy tears him to later in life just be the fat guy? Because Hamilton Porter continued to basically be the chunky, fun-loving fat guy. I think that's true. I think also being fat back in the day as a kid was not really that fat. It was hard to be too fat. You know, a kid's growing. You know, there's only so much you can eat. You know, in the 60s or the 70s or the 80s, your metabolism's still high because you're a kid. I think now food is so unhealthy and kids are so unhealthy, you see really obese kids now. Way fatter than you were, way fatter than Porter was. They're absolutely right. There are kids I look at now, sadly, that walk the street and they got like the the fat going over their elbow. Like they shouldn't have elbow fat yet. You're right. And you look and you're like, okay. All right, That's so a fat kid. You were really not a fat kid. You were no, a husky kid. I was a husky kid, but the husky kids, for the most part, get huskier as life <laughs> goes on. They don't go the other way, and I want to shake a young Hamilton Porter back in watching this movie and go, look at you, kid. You jump into the pool. You could look like with that belly, you'd be totally acceptable in today's world on the beach. Yeah. Don't eat anymore. Don't stuff the hot dog and the sauerkraut on your way to run <laughs> to play the night game. You got it. You got it, kid. You're okay. Multiple kids in this film end up with mug shots on the internet. Smalls ends up like <laughs> headbutting a cop, and then um, maybe it's a yeah, yeah that also has a mug shot as well for some type of assault charge. But out of all of them, Squints ends up with two sleeves of tattoos. He's all tatted up now. I kind of respect that. I really? respect that out of Squints because you look at him and that that you know, little wise cracking face with the glasses and and everything that Squints had going on as a kid, you realize that like a wise ass back then when you're a kid and everybody knows those wise asses. You know what? They end up with that I don't give a bleep attitude when they get younger. And sometimes they could just they could turn it into be real ladies' man's tat themselves up, look really cool, look really tough. And Squints, I could see that in this day and age happening with a kid. You know what I couldn't shake? I I couldn't shake that Squints looked like how I would imagine Jerry Seinfeld looked at 10. <laughs> oh, no. I never thought of that. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good comp. I, and on Squints' point, because we debated this a lot in G-Chat. so funny, the, the ongoing chat that the show's not, that the listeners aren't even aware of. I, I wanted to say this, and I didn't want to say it to be as offensive as possible. You guys kept saying no way could Squints get Wendy Peppercorn. Okay, now I get it. The age difference might be a little weird. It's six to eight years. Maybe she's a little bit of a cougar. I, at no point... He's also a total nerd at 10, and she's like the hottest girl in school at 16. But see, that's the point I'm going to make here. I think in that town, if she is the most beautiful girl at that age, 16, 17, 18, however old she is, I think we're looking at an overrated crop. I did not find Wendy Peppercorn to be that attractive. Like, that everybody would drool all over her at the pool... 
I thought she was kind of just like a regular girl. That's why I think when she gets older, she gets to college, let's say, suddenly she's with girls from other towns that are way better looking than her. She starts getting insecure, goes back to that kid at the pool who was in love with her then and realizes that's a man who's going to treat me right, and that's how a squint ends up with her because she was never that great looking to begin with. So so after four years at UC Irvine, she comes back to the town, and Squints is now a junior in high school, and she's all about it. She's all about it. All about it. She's going to prom. Exactly. The whole thing. And then in the end, they have a nice life. They buy Vincent's Drugstore, which I would say probably a bad investment years later because I'm assuming a Rite Aid or a Walgreens might buy them out. But, hey, it's a nice, it's a nice life for them. The Sandlot is such a good movie. It is so, so good. It is still so enjoyable. And I highly encourage anybody to watch it again, especially for Fourth of July weekend. It is such a good sports film. I will be out Thursday and Friday for the four-day weekend. And so you and Bogues are going to be taking over the the, ho- the co-hosting duties coming <laughs> the up. Hosting duties. The co-hosting duties. <laughs> um, so you will have Badlands Booker coming up on Thursday yes. to preview the hot dog eating competition at Coney Island. Yes. And you have said, now you've declared, you've called your shot, you're going to ask him tough questions. Yes, I have. I I have grown frustrated with this, and I think as a show we've grown frustrated with this. And it's not to be negative towards Balance Booker because he's always a funny guest. He gets the show. He's very you know he's he's a good spot. But ultimately, every time we have him on, then we tune into a contest thinking this is going to be Balance Booker's day, and the guy just he gets worse. Yeah. He somehow gets worse. He seems ill prepared. The quarantine challenge. He, I mean, the baloney. He might as well have just made himself lunch and sat there and ate while the big kids played because that's what it <laughs> seemed like. And I, I need to get inside Booker's head here. Forty eight hours before he's going to eat hot dogs uh, in the Nathan's contest, which again will be a quarantine version. They have to eat the hot dogs at home. That's the way this is going to be. So. I need to just ask him, what is he doing wrong? Because you, you, I've seen him in person. You've seen him in person. He's more skilled than I think TV gets to, and we're not getting his best. And I need to ask him why that is, what he needs to change. And I can't just be painting this with a brush going, oh, you're great, Booker. No, no, Booker, you stink right now. We need to figure out why you stink, and I need to ask him this. So look forward to Badlands Booker's interview on Thursday's DA show as Mraz and Bogues will co-host Thursday and Friday. I'll be back on Monday. How much time will you spend at Blob's Bar this weekend, your backyard bar? <laughs> well, the original Blob's Bar or, my, or Bob's Bar and there's Blob's Bar? Is that yeah, what you've got the annex, uh, Blob's Bar. Okay, so Blo- <laughs> Blob's Bar I will spend all of Friday at. <laughs> then I go to Bob's Bar Saturday <laughs> for the 4th of July. I'll come back to Blob's on Sunday and then, look, it's going to be a big week at Blob's Bar next week. I am off all of next week, so I have some certain things I want to do, some staycation All of stuff. next week? Wow. Yeah, I took a week's vacation next week, so there are a couple of things that my wife wants to do. You know, you can't travel with what's going on, so we're going to do some kind of Long Island things, go on a ferry ride to Fire Island, take a ride out to Montauk, stuff like that. Uh, I actually just found out now I have to drive into Manhattan to do something for work on my day off next Friday, which will be Ooh. a lot of fun. Uh, but, yeah, I'm going to spend a lot of time next week at Blob's Bar. It'll be a happy hour, I would say, almost every day at Blob's, even if it's by myself. So <laughs> Blob's is going to get a lot of run. you got to go into work. Will you see Pete next week at work or on Friday for work? Because Pete's been 
a little annoyed at you to uh, yeah. criticize him when you haven't had to go into the office. So, good point. I actually asked Pete this down the line. Apparently, Pete is also taking a couple days off next week because Pete's just writing his own rule book on when he takes days <laughs> off as well. So, apparently, I will not see him Friday. But, uh, yeah, not to get too technical, but the box I am using, the, the machine that gets me back uh, home that was yours, needs to be returned to its owner. So, they have to give me a new one, and I have to go to make a couple stops, and they have to program it. And the only way they want to do this is in person. So, I have to take one of my days on vacation, driving to Manhattan, driving to the station, driving to another station, and basically be in my car in Manhattan for about four hours figuring this whole out on the day off, and it's the only day they will allow me to do it. When you guys filled in on Friday, um, was Bogus was Bogus's setup okay? Because he's had some serious technical issues. So wor- I was so worried, DA. So worried, because I've had the robotic voice. Bogus has had a lot of technical issues, and it's almost as if the radio gods looked down and said, DA is doing a great thing. Let's at least let this show sound smooth with these two bozos and not one technical glitch happen nice. between the two of us. So we do have two shows coming up here at the end of the week. I hope they obviously get off without a hitch, but we might be playing with fire because we already got away with one clean, crisp show, so I don't know how two will come across. Because the shame of it is that the box that you're using now is better than the than the program that Bogus is use, right. Bogus uses. So it would be great to give your box to Bogus and then you get a new one. But unfortunately, it's a one for one swap. We don't get to inherit another one. Exactly. Apparently, the box I am using needs to be brought. Get this and reprogrammed to NFL sites for NFL broadcasts for Sunday Night Football, Monday Night Football. Apparently, this is one of the ones used at stadiums for NFL broadcasts for Westwood One. So, so let's this, hope that, that that Kevin Harlan doesn't have a robotic voice right, in Pittsburgh this year. Right, exactly. So we could get a Sunday night game in Lambeau where cuts sound like a robot, and you'll know, wow, that was in Mraz's <laughs> basement outside Blob's bar. So I'm getting a different one that won't be used on football hey, broadcasts. Hey, make sure Eli doesn't piss on that one. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> right, imagine. Right, right. You can imagine the first Monday night doubleheader of the year, and it just smells like urine, and they're wondering, what happened to this this year? <laughs> All right. Well, that's side A. I wish you guys the best of luck on Thursday and Friday. I'm looking forward to listening as uh, as I take a few days off for the fourth. And, uh, yeah, we'll talk to you later, man. All right. Enjoy a couple days off. All right. Welcome into Side B of the PGP. This is Mraz, host of Side B with my co-host here, Andrew Bogich. Bogey, a little warm-up for us. And if you're listening to this, maybe you've already heard us co-host shows this week. But if you're not, Thursday and Friday, you're getting more of Bogish and Mraz in for DA as DA takes a couple more days off. And away we go, Bogues. Away we go. It's summertime. We like to have fun with uh, DA's Friday summer Fridays off. He has been pretty good at coming into work through all of this. But finally, we have a summer Friday and a summer Thursday where he's not here. Uh, and you and I get to goof around for a little bit now. Is it true, will there not be a stream on these two days? You and I haven't discussed this yet off the air. So this is what also gets lost in this whole thing. There will not be a Watch DA stream Thursday and Friday. And the reason for that is, you know, as we all talk about summer days off, and we discussed at length last week DA using a vacation day to go see Mo, which was awesome. Uh, Kaplan kept the stream going. Kaplan has days off like a company guy himself that he also Mm. needs to use before the end of the year. And obviously... You know, as most sports radio entities would want, they would prefer us not really take off a bunch during football season. It's the bread and butter, most advertising's in, yada, yada, yada. So we all have to start using days. And uh, 
you know, we, we've had a long road here, but Kaplan has to use his too. So Kaplan is going to take days that DA is taking here on Thursday, Friday. So the good news is not that you and I were getting super dressed up, but we could actually sit in chairs butt naked at our homes with no camera on and nobody would know. Although, as I'm saying those words, it dawns on me, you and I likely will still be on a Google call looking at each other for communication. So I take back me being naked. Maybe I'll just be sure. Well. Yeah, I mean, my thought was not nudity, to be honest. Um, it was just more of like having to remember that the camera is on or to turn it on or to look at it. Because I really, I hate the fake TV smile, stare at the camera. I, I will never be good at it. I always look like I'm about <laughs> to die or I'm confused or something. <laughs> I hate every single second of it. Not that WatchDA.com is like this, the most you know, intricate and detailed and high level TV broadcast from like from our vantage point, it's, you know, it's just uh, the cameras on a radio show, not us needing to be in a suit and tie behind a desk, looking at a camera, like we're hosting good morning America or whatever. Uh, but it's still <laughs> like, it's there and annoys me. So I'm happy that for two days, I don't have that, uh, that annoyance. Right. And again, we should probably still at least be looking at each other for, for the sake of communication, but yes, I would agree. Yeah, But this is, that- but that's different still completely different so i might do one of the shows shirtless just to see uh if we can make things interesting and i i would wonder do you think i'd do a better show naked see because i have really I pushed don't... the sweatpants thing for a long time and honestly i think i've been right. pretty damn productive doing shows in gym shorts like i've been doing but i wonder how much more i could push the envelope and if i just sat here you know butt bare on my folding chair if i could uh if i could do a good show naked yeah, I think it more so would be the bad show that me and Pete and Connor or whomever could do having to look at you or try not to look at you sitting there doing the show naked. So it's really more about us than you in this scenario. All right. I, I could get behind that. I can understand it. Now, before we get into some brief Sandlot nuggets, first of all, by the way, a great movie. So much better than The Natural. Uh, I'm so happy we did Sandlot. It, it was fun to kind of do some more movie stuff and not necessarily just the sports stuff because they don't really climax to a big game in the Sandlot. But that was cool. But I just wanted to touch on the stuff from earlier in the week where things, man, this week got real tense early with Pete the Body Bilotti versus me really over the Bobby Valentine thing. And I just wanted to get like a little more extended thought from you from the standpoint of there's no doubt that Bobby V should have never appeared on Soundcheck. Um, I think he's a completely different band list when that's a guy who's had it out for me, tried to once get me canned. I get it. I should have looked at Soundcheck. The next day, you guys tried to run a play by me where I wasn't going to pick up that Lola Bunny was on Soundcheck. I figured that one out. But ultimately, it led us down an argument where Pete has shirked responsibilities since we have left the studio while waving the flag that he does more work than ever. And one of those things that really annoyed me more than anything was him passing off sound check because I kept saying, no, 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 Pete's supposed to do sound check. When Pete presented to me bogus the evidence that, in fact, I was still doing sound check and he was doing the reads, I have never felt that small probably since the Joey Chestnut incident that I ironically played the other day, <laughs> he was, it's, it hurt me, Bogus, so bad to go, wow, Pete's right. Like, Pete's right, and I can't lie my way out of this, and I had to own that. But I still would say, and Pete got real annoyed at this, Pete knew he took on reads. Why, in, the, in his weird, wacky argument with me, didn't he just say that on Monday? Yeah, that and and his when you when you wrote that up on the air on Wednesday morning, his response then didn't make sense either. I mean, that was the that was the winning. That was the, that was the kill shot. He just says right. that it pops in your head that he's right, and on the air he's right. 
and gets the victory, gets to celebrate, can gloat, rub it in your face however he wants. But for whatever right. reason, he he didn't bring it up in the moment. Um, but I, you know, that's kind of the way Pete rolls. Like there's there's an argument, there's anger, there's heat, there's things that might be real and mean, or maybe they're just still a joke. And then time passes. And there's like an apology or a search for you to apologize. And then everything is back to normal. And I guess it just took him until the apology part of the normal cycle to be like, hey, by the way, here's how I know I was right in all of this. Yeah. And it, again, it bothered me because I, it stinks when you're wrong and you think you've been right all along and it hits you. And, not, and sadly enough, I mean, this goes for pretty much anything in this country, Bogus. I mean, any argument and, and social media is full of plenty of them. You know, we are a country at each other's throats. You could be proven wrong, and nobody wants to accept when they're proven wrong. But I, I, I like to think that when I'm, I'm physically proven wrong, you know, something that's not an opinion, I can admit that it, it hurt me to have to admit I was wrong because he was absolutely right. And to admit you're wrong on something with Pete, I think bothers me more than being wrong versus anybody else, right? Isn't it just something like, oh, he got me? Yeah, and you like, don't want wanna... brutal. Yeah, you don't want to lose to Pete. You don't want to lose to anybody after so strongly defending yourself and thinking you were right. Because I, as I said on the air, I didn't remember a specific conversation about who's doing the cold open, who's doing sound check. But like, it's been a running thing for basically the entirety of the network is Pete redistributing responsibilities, right. whether it's been schedules. I mean, I think, you know, he's the only guy in studio that has a helper with him you know everybody else is kind of in there by himself but he's always got connor and shep and so like there's there's always a lot going on here so it made sense that this somehow even innocently just had fallen through the cracks right and this is how we caught it because you and i both thought that pete was wrong in this that he was should have been doing it and then had gotten caught having connor do it connor then makes the bobby valentine mistake so we, we can crush Connor for that. But at the end, it really should have been Pete's job. So Pete's more wrong than Connor. That's where, where I thought we were going with this. But lo and behold, at least in this scenario, Pete is right. And it got a half an apology out of you. And it should be noted, the point on delegating is right, and you brought up a good point. Throughout this pandemic, every show's producer has basically been doing the work from home, and then it leaves one person, the Pete, let's say, of all the other shows to operate everything from studio. Our show, the DA show, there are a lot of moving bells and whistles, more so than other shows, but nonetheless, Pete is the only one with an extra hand in studio. So, you know, you can understand where we would come from with pointing out that Pete may be delegating a little more, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, On the Sandlot... Before I let you go, um, all right, I, I ask you this every week because you are our Roger Ebert thing you love the most about the movie, thing you hated the most about the movie. I mean, it's just it's just a good movie, and it's not a good sports movie. It's just a good movie. I mean, it just the I, the kids are I thought all did a great job acting in it. Um, you know, it's it takes you back to a different time. It makes you know it 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 brings up a lot of emotions, which I think is the point of anything, right? It's yes. supposed to make you feel things and think things. And at the beginning, you know, I know Da hated Smalls the entire time, and I, I wonder why he got to be the way he was at ten, not knowing what s'mores were and not knowing how to throw a baseball. But like, like that's also, and maybe you felt this too. Like as a parent, that's kind of your fear that like your kid doesn't fit in sure you know doesn't have a lot of friends needs somebody to kind of needs a benny to come in and get him into the group and get him out of the house and do whatever so like it's an there's a lot going on there you hope and then 
I think part of it too is like, doesn't everybody want to be Benny, like the coolest kid in the neighborhood who's awesome at a sport? He was, you know, oh, I got an extra glove. Oh, I got an extra hat. Oh, I've got new PF flyers to jump over the fence and and, and save right. your Babe Ruth ball from the beast. So like, there's just a lot going on in this movie that makes it really, really good. On the flip side, if you want to nitpick, there are things, and we did that on the air. There are definitely things to nitpick, whether it's you know historical connections, like there there's no chance the way baseball went, unfortunately, that. Um, that Mr. Myrtle would have played with Babe Ruth, as he said he did back in the 20s and 30s. It just wasn't possible. Um, and there's some other things, too, that just don't necessarily make sense. But it's still a re- it's a it's an all-time movie, no doubt. Yeah, and I think the thing that I would leave with the Sandlot of why I think it's a great movie, Bogish, and I believe that it's something that, and I've lost track, because we're on week 15 of these movies, so I lose track of what I've spoken to DA about, what I've spoken to you about, but I believe this is something you and I have discussed. What I think makes The Sandlot a great movie and not just a great sports movie is we have have pointed out whether it's Eddie, uh, whether it's Ed, whether it's Ladybugs, the movies that really don't know what they want to be, that really probably should be targeted for kids, but then they make them kid movies that are actually targeted for adults. And it, you, this is what ends up with some of these movies end up being crappy because they can't find out what they want to be. The Sandlot manages to be a movie. That if you're a kid, you'll love the heck out of it, right? It's a, it's, you could picture you and your friends having a good time getting into an adventures. And if you're an adult, you could be very nostalgic about it, and it kind of takes you back to your childhood a little bit. And you think about your friends, and kind of maybe gives you a little perspective. I, I'm sure there have been people who have watched The Sandlot as adults, and within a week have picked up the phone or picked up a computer and reached out to a high school friend of theirs just to see how they're doing. Like, it kind of tickles that that element of it. And I think that there's something there where this movie hits with both kids and adults, where so many of these other sports movies we've done didn't really know what they wanted to be and therefore missed with both. And it's also, I think, 27 years old now. It came out in 1993, so, like, I've seen it at different stages of my life. So you, and every time you watch it, if something feels different about it, right? I mean, because like you just said, you first see it if you're young, you're like, oh man, me and Timmy and Johnny and Mike, that was exactly what we were like. And then maybe one time you watch it and you're, and you're thinking more about like a little more nostalgic. Now you're looking at it from a parent perspective. I mean, it just, it's never, it doesn't, it, it, it applies to everyone on every level um, and it gives you different things to think about, different things to feel, different things to remember every time every time you watch it. And everyone has seen it. I mean, and no one doesn't like it. So, I mean, it's just, it's such a perfect movie for, you know, like nine different reasons. Right, right. I, I loved it. I enjoyed the heck out of it. Um, again, I can't believe we're at 15 of these already. I, I mentioned in the topic list, and maybe this is something we get into eventually on a side B over the next couple of weeks. I would love to, to create an all-star team of all the baseball movies we've watched because there's a lot of them all over the place in positions. Like I think that, you know, the debate about whether you would like, uh, Gina Davis's character slipping my mind in, in, uh, League of Their Own or the Hambino behind the plate. I think there's plenty there to do there, but, uh, Mothership Oof. of the Movies continues to be a success. Yeah, see, that's a debate. That's a debate. We all got to think about it. Certainly won't be Jake Taylor from Major League Two, I can tell you that much. But uh, that's where we have we're a at. DH spot to steal. Like, can I put Hambino at DH just so we get to in yeah, the game? Yeah, like, I mean, just Gina real briefly. The exactly. They, but but then I think, do you have to go with the DH, the enemy in Major League Two, who's also a catcher? I forget his name. I'd have to go back and look at it. Oh, uh, uh, he, I mean, he, it's something, it's Parker, something, right? Man. Oh, Parker. Parker. Yeah, yeah, Parker, yeah. Parker. Like, he's dominant. I mean, Roy Hobbs would obviously have to be your right fielder, but then do you go... 
do you go all the way May or Willie Mays Hayes in center? I mean, uh, can we can we put Serrano in left? Uh, there's a lot. Right. Rosie O'Donnell at third or Roger Dorn at third. I, I mean, yeah, obviously, can't who, be who Dorn. Do, do you go Henry Rowan Gardner starter? Does Chet Stetman have to start the game? I mean, there's a lot of stuff you need to do there. Um, throughout and do we th- ever know what position Benny actually plays? Because he just he as they well, say the, the movie thing. he just kind of floats around when the other guy is hitting and takes those spots because he, he, he can so, play all so of them. So he plays all of them, and that's where I probably would end up with Benny the Jet at shortstop on my team. Uh, I do think Marla Hooch, because of how much he rakes, would have to be at second base. I don't know mm. where I go at first base. I'd have to look back into that as well. But like that's something I think we could do with some of these movies. See, I, here's I, the problem: we haven't watched Little Big League yet, which I think we're going to at some point, and then Luke that brings Collins. Kevin Elster into the shortstop conversation. Mm. So now I don't know what to do with Benny. Yeah, I mean, unless Benny could just grab a glove and play first, I see. But this is these are stuff. Oh, by the way, I just I'm sorry. I'm an idiot too. I mentioned that does we do we play Rosie O'Donnell or Roger Dorn at third base? No, you play Ed the chimpanzee's got to play third. Yeah, I mean, I mean he swallows plays kind of one dimensional. But he's got to be a third baseman. He's a stolen base artist. So these are all things, by the way, bogus <laughs> that we need to get into. All right. Well, I'm going to catch we'll it. We'll do next on Friday days. morning on the show. That's it. <laughs> we will we will discuss it all the next couple days on the DA show. Uh, you can follow Andrew Bogus on Twitter at Andrew Bogus, and you can follow me at Moraz CBS. Have a great week, everyone. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.